Good morning, guys. Okay, that was weak. All right, here we go. Good morning. Hey, it's so good to be with you. Do me a favor, get your Bible out, James chapter 5. We're going to look at the first six verses, okay? And uh, get your uh, bulletin out, take some notes on the back. You always kind of write down more of what you, you remember more of what you write down. So just, you know, write some things down. If the Lord kind of impresses upon something upon you, write that down as well. You can also take notes on the app. So if you don't have the app, you can take notes there, and uh, that kind of holds it electronically for you. Um, so a couple things where you're kind of getting your Bible out and getting your notes out. Uh, if you are struggling with an addiction, okay, we've got a great ministry called Next Steps. We used to call it Heart of Addiction, but I think we're calling it Next Steps now. And uh, we want to help you overcome that and walk in the holiness and righteousness and freedom that comes from uh, not giving into temptation and giving into sin. And so that's our uh, Next Steps class. And so Tuesday night, 630, just come on up. We'll get you involved. And man, we would love for you to be a part of that. All right. Secondly, uh, security training. We, uh, we, we work really hard at all four of our campuses to develop a safe environment uh, where we can worship the Lord and you can drop off your kids and, and we want to keep safe. So we have a security team that does that. And uh, I love that logo, actually. I mean, like FBI agents, you know, like you just need the earpiece. Amy, could you just next week get the earpiece going up there kind of thing? And that would be great. But uh, if you want to be a part of our security team, man, we have training on August 8th, 9th, and 10th. And uh, it's here at the Yorktown campus. You can email Cliff at Go Coastal. Let us know you're coming, and we will uh, make sure we have dinner for you. And we would love for you to be a part. It's a great way to serve. So uh, here at Coastal Church. So a couple things uh, while we're jumping in. I'm about you know great morning of corporate worship and singing. Uh, I'm about to suck all the air out of the room. Uh, our text this morning is about money, right? So that's exactly why you came to church. Uh, you wanted to hear about money, but uh, you know the Bible actually has a lot to say about money, and one of the things that we uh, do at Coastal is we preach uh, exegetically through the Bible, right? So every summer, for sure, we take a book of the Bible, we just go through it, and so listen, Coastal's not in desperate financial uh, straits, we're in good shape, and your generosity is a big part of that. Uh, this is just the next text that we're going to go over, right? Everybody with me? All right, so that's what we're looking at this morning, James 5, 1 to 6. Yeah, I heard a story this week of a mom uh, as she was bringing her daughter to church. She gave her daughter a, a dollar and a quarter. And uh, as they were heading to church, she gives her each of these, and she says, you can, uh, you can give either one, and the other one you can keep. Uh, you can give the dollar and keep the quarter, you can give the quarter and keep the dollar. So eager to see what her daughter would do with that on the way home, she said, what'd you do? And she said, well, I was going to give the dollar until the guy doing the offering got up and said, whatever you give, give joyfully. And I decided I was more joyful if I gave the quarter and kept the dollar. And, uh, and let me just say, like, that's 100% accurate, right? Like, if you give to a local church, you should give joyfully, right? And so whatever it is you want to give, you give with joy. Don't give begrudgingly. Guess what? God don't need your money. Isn't that freeing? Uh, so whatever you want to give, you give joyfully. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at what James has to say about wealth. Now, it's very interesting that as I, maybe it's because it's been on my mind, but this last month I've been reading through Proverbs and, you know, Proverbs has a lot to say, actually, about wealth building. Like, wealth is not evil. Uh, I would encourage you to build wealth. Uh, the Proverbs uses a lot of animals, you know, and insects. You know, consider the ants, consider this, consider that. Run away from debt like a gazelle, it says. So, you know, so it's got some, a lot of great... Um, 
practical tools for us to build wealth, okay? And I'm passionate. Probably I always tell people my second passion in life, it wasn't for pastoring. I'd probably be an investment advisor, right? I love wealth building, and I think it's a good thing. What the Bible warns against is wealth having captured our hearts, right? And, and money having captured our hearts. And, and so this morning, um, James here gives a stern, stern warning uh, against the idea of wealth capturing our hearts. And I want to suggest to you this morning that for us to be generous, and we're, we're going to talk about this at the end, like if we're followers of Jesus, then we have been generously given the gospel, right, and received the gospel. And so we should be being molded into the image of our creator and we serve and worship a, a generous God, right? And so, so we should be growing in generosity. And I would suggest to you that growing in generosity is actually a discipline. Uh, and I'm going to land this morning with giving us some disciplines that I think will help us grow in generosity. But it starts this morning with a stern warning against wealth uh, capturing our hearts. So check this out, James chapter 5, verse 1. Here we go. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Like such an encouraging verse to come right out of the gate with, right? And so what I want you to see this morning is I think that James is warning against the idol of wealth, right? That wealth has not captured our hearts because one of the things that we know, and, and you're going to see in this text as we go through it, that I think James is is preparing us for the day that we stand before the Lord and we give an account of our lives. And, and, and so, you know, when James talks about the, come, the miseries that are coming upon us, all right, so the good news is if you're a Christian, uh, you, when, you give an, when you give an account of your life one day before your Creator, God Almighty, you're going to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. By repentance and faith, we, the good works of Christ get credited to us by grace through faith. And so I'm not sure that for the Christian you're going to be standing there in misery, right? And so is this text written to unbelievers or maybe Christians who have not yet grown in their generosity? It could be. Uh, but really I think this is a text that is a warning against those that are abusing their wealth. But nonetheless, I think it's a stern warning and it's important for us to understand that wealth can strangle our spiritual journey if it captures our hearts. And so we have to be really, really careful. And so we've titled this sermon series, what have we titled it? Authentic, right? That if you're calling yourself a Christian, James holds up the mirror to our spiritual lives and says, this is what a Christian should look like. And James now is warning our hearts that they not, that they not be captured by wealth. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So maybe you're like me at first glance when you read James 1 or you hear Jesus talk about the rich and you're like, well, thank God he ain't talking about me, right? How many of y'all go like... He's talking to Bill Gates, and he's talking to Elon Musk, and a handful of other people, but it's not me, all right? Let me bring him down to earth a little bit, ready? Anybody know what the globally, the average national income is across the globe? What's the national average? Anybody, any guesses? Anybody want to yell one out? 140000 a year globally? 
under 40. I was like, 140, yeah, that's, woo, the globe's doing great. The way inflation's going, it'll probably be there in 10 years. Okay, so it's under 40 to be sure. Anybody else? Give me, it's under 40. 28, no. Anybody else? What? 15, no. 5,000, higher. It's 10. Somebody's yelling 10. It's 10,000. 10,000 is the global average. How many of you are like, I ain't yelling out? And he says, no. He yells at me in front of everyone. Like, <laughs> not that risky. So it's 10,000. Anybody know what the average income in the U.S. is? The median is 67.5, and the average is $70,000 annual income, household income. Okay? So if you're the average American, and I suspect that a large percentage of us here in the, we're a York County position church. I know we draw from all around, but I suspect most of us are probably 50 or above, certainly 67 to 70 household income. That puts you probably in the top 5 to 10% globally around the world. So guess what that makes you, globally speaking? Rich, right? I would suggest to you that most American Christians well, cannot honestly, they're not going to be honestly be able to stand before the God of the universe one day and go, well, these verses didn't apply to me. They just, you were just talking about Bill Gates and Elon Musk, right? That's it. No, like we are the wealthiest nation on the planet. That's one of the reasons, not the only reason. I want, I want to challenge you. One of the reasons I often say, man, I really, really want you to take a missions trip, especially to a third world country. A couple things will happen when you do that. Number one, you're going to see the way much of the rest of the world lives and you're going to go, man, God has has blessed my socks off, right? Like, I, you know, I just cannot believe how these folks are living. The second thing that you're going to see is the Christians in third world countries, they have a joy in their heart that I don't have, right? You're actually in some ways going to regret some of the way wealth has blinded you to the joy of finding Jesus and following Jesus. I know some of you are like, how could that be? Go, just go. Go on one mission trip, and you will come back, and you'll go, man, Pastor Sean, you were right about that, all right? And so, and so we must guard our hearts, okay? What did Jesus say, right? Your heart cannot serve two masters, right? You can only, at the end of the day, your life is only really going to bow a knee to one master, right? And so we have, what James is warning against here is that we're, we have to be, and again, I could preach a whole other sermon and do a whole bunch of teaching on the importance of wealth building, and I think it's a good thing, but we have to guard our hearts that wealth has not captured our heart. That's why 1 Timothy 6, right? What does Paul say in 1 Timothy? He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why? It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. So, so James here is warning us as Christians, hey, don't let your heart don't let wealth, don't let wealth building become an idol in and of itself, right? And so here's some specific warnings. Point number two, warnings against wealth. Letter A, James warns us against hoarding our wealth, all right? James warns us against hoarding our wealth. So James chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, 
He says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten and your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. So much like a couple weeks ago, this is a reminder that all, not, you don't, all of us are going to stand before God and none of us takes anything with us, right? Everything in this life is passing away and is transient. Your food, your clothing, your savings, they will all suffer loss. James is reminding us that one day we're going to be given account before God. And if we're, if we're not generous with, our, with the wealth that God has given us to steward, that the lack of generosity will be called against us as evidence that we weren't a generous people. Right? And we see this in Luke chapter 16. Remember Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And they both die and the Lazarus, the poor man, goes to heaven. The rich man is suffering in hell and there's a gulf between them. And the rich man actually asks that Lazarus could dip his hand in some cold water and cool his tongue. And Jesus in the story teaches that he says to the rich man... You had everything you needed while you were alive on the earth. And Lazarus was poor. And so, you know, I think James is cautioning us that we want to one day stand before God and be proved and to be shown to be a generous people. And now listen, as Christians, when you give, and I'm going to talk about this in my wrap-up here this morning, when you give to your local church, hopefully your church has a vision, and I will tell you, this church does, has a vision to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And when that's your vision, your giving should be fueling and funding the gospel. And, and therefore, we are, according to the scriptures, storing up treasures in heaven, right? Now, if you really want to invest, invest in the treasures in heaven. I, I can tell you this, honestly, with all the investments I've ever made in my life, the ones that have never worried me at all is the money that I've given away. Never. It's never worried me at all. It's the money that I've put in some stupid stock or mutual fund. That's Anybody stressing right now about the, any investment advisors in here going, yes, it's not been a great year, right? Like, it's the money I've saved that gives me heartburn. It's not the money I've given away. There is a freedom to giving it away and watching the Lord use it for blessing. Amen, church? All right, so we have to, so the first warning that James gives is warning against hoarding, right? And so, the Bible teaches that we're to work hard and we're to provide for our families and we're to live within our means. And, and, and listen, I could do a whole sermon on cautioning against debt. Uh, the Bible says the debtor is the servant to the lender, right? And then we're to have leftover to share for the furtherance of the gospel ministry. All right, second warning that James gives. It's a warning against unjust gain and defrauding others. A Christian should not be unjust in their gain and they should not be defrauding others. James goes on to say in James chapter 5 verse 4, Behold the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. They are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So let me give you a kind of an overview of what James, who he, specifically he's talking about. He is probably writing to a group of people where there were wealthy, 
that were hiring day laborers, okay? And so these day laborers were, not, were poor, and they didn't have uh, refrigeration, they didn't have food, pa- food in their pantry. They were the kind of poor folks that required their wage to be given to them that day so that on the way home they could get to the marketplace and buy enough sustenance to get through the next 24 hours. And, uh, and so for whatever reason, these rich people were withholding their daily pay, maybe to collect interest and other days' interest, I don't know. And, and God here says, the cry of the poor has reached my ears. And just like last week, we talked about God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, right? This passage, he says, the, the cries of the poor have come to the ears. And he, I love the way the NLT, NLT translates the word Lord of hosts. He, the NLT translates it, the Lord of heaven's armies are against you. Like, wow, right? We, as Christians, we need to be generous. We need to make sure we're not defrauding people. We need to make sure that we're not do, having uh, unjust gain, okay? And so, obviously, most of us in this room are not day laborers. So let me give you some ways I think that we can have an unjust gain or defraud people, Okay? If you are working for your boss as a Christian, you owe your boss a full day of hard work for the wage that you're earning. Amen? I I made the mistake the last two weeks of having to go to a large box customer service desk. It was horrible, okay? Uh, I felt like I was interrupting the day of the person working there. Like, how dare you come and return something? I'm on my phone scrolling through InstaFace, you know, whatever. And, and um, I was just shocked, really. I was just like, and so, you know, maybe the attitude is like, hey, I work for the big box store, and they got plenty of money, and that should never be the attitude of a Christian. You signed up to work, go work, work hard, earn a wage. And I can tell you something. Listen, being a, a boss, okay, let me put my boss hat on for a minute. Like, you, you're going to thrive if you work hard, right? And people, your boss is looking for somebody that, that is looking for a good day's work out of you. And, and you're going to, you know, smile and greet your customers. Your job as a Christian is go to your, wherever you're employed and say, I am here to help my boss, help my company be successful, Otherwise, you're defrauding your boss, okay? I, uh, I've had the, I guess, the privilege, I guess, I don't know, the privilege of pastoring this church through three or maybe four recessions. Depends on how you count a recession. And I'm going to tell you something. A recession actually does some beneficial things. It does it in my own heart, too, right? When, I'm in, when we're in the middle of a recession, you know what happens in my work ethic? My production goes up because you want to know what? I'm really glad to have a job, right? When the economy's thriving, all of a sudden I and everybody else starts feeling entitled. Like, man, and all of a sudden a recession, you're like, I better, I better roll up my sleeves and produce. Anybody else feel that way, right? And so, man, there's a benefit to that. Like, man, I'm really grateful I have a job and I can work hard and God's using that to provide for me and for my family and for my church and the other things that we want to bless with our wealth, okay? Um, another way that we defraud is when we don't pay our taxes. Jesus, when asked, should I give to the temple or should I give to the taxes, what did he say? Render to the things that are 
and render to God the things that are God's, right? And so let me give you a code word. Some of y'all maybe this is new to you. The code word is, it's an all-cash business. All-cash business is code for you don't have to report everything to the, to the government. So if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, that's me, or I've heard that before, or, or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, I, like I'm paying too many taxes. I want to remind you what Jesus said. Jesus said... Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. Amen? Now, if you think you're paying too many taxes, let me, I got another word for you. Ready? You're an American citizen and you have this really awesome privilege every couple years. Guess what it's called? Voting, right? Vote for the person that says, I'm going to lower your taxes. But until then, you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Amen, church? And we do what God's called. Only two amens. The rest are like, I don't know. He's get, it's too political. I didn't even tell you to vote, who to vote for. Well, vote for people that pay less taxes. Okay, there you go. Um, if you're an employer, it's your job to employ, pay your employees well. If you have a great year and your employees have done a great job and they've helped bless your business, listen, share the wealth. Share with them. Be generous. And say, man, we, we had a great year. I want to take care of you. I'm really, really appreciative of the hard work you, you've put in. And and share with them and be generous. Listen, the scriptures are clear. We get to enjoy our earthly reward. And, and God, 1 Timothy 6, God has given all things for our enjoyment. Like, God gives you a good vacation. Praise be to God. Like, God gives you a nice car, whatever. Like, all that's great. But we are also to live within our means and be generous and have some left over to share. Okay, the third warning, let her see. James warns of being ruthless, right? When, when people are wealthy, they can be ruthless. James chapter 5, verse 6, he say, finishes this section by saying, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James is dealing with the idea that a person can use wealth as a weapon, and we certainly see that in our culture, and we see that all around the world, right? And, and when, when there's an injustice, this is where we have to understand the gospel and its implications. I talked about this last week at Chesapeake. When anytime someone sins against you, okay, for whatever reason, that's an injustice. And because we live in a sinful world and you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, it's inevitable that people, you're going to sin against others and others are going to sin against you. And when that happens, that's an injustice. And the Bible tells us that as Christians, it's not up to us to seek our own revenge. Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not up to us to seek out our own justice, okay? When we've been wounded, uh, we can turn that over to either the, well, we can turn it over to our governing authorities. Romans 13, God has placed the governing authorities so that injustices are meted out into the government realm. And if it's still not taken care of, we can turn it over to the Lord. Because here's the news, ready? Just like I talk about as a Christian, when you use your time, talent, and treasure, and no one sees, and no one gives you an attaboy, I always say the Lord sees and the Lord rewards. The opposite is also true. When there's an injustice against you, the Lord sees and the Lord will take vengeance. And here's how, here's how justice will always be satisfied. Either the person that wounded you will bow a knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ and become a follower of Jesus, and Jesus will bear the wrath, God's wrath of their injustice on them, or they will stand before God and God will mete out justice perfectly in his way and in his timing, and it will be holy, righteous, good, and, and satisfied. Amen, everybody? Okay, so we have to be careful of being ruthless and, uh, with, 
our finances. So there you go. I've taken you guys through Romans chapter 5, 1 to 6, and you guys are like, man, we're out of here. This is awesome. All right, so no, you're not. I want to make one more point. All right, so here we go. And so the obvious theme here in James is that we're not to abuse wealth or use wealth for unrighteous means. I would like to end this morning by giving you a positive note and what, of giving and generosity. And so I've titled this last point, Why I Tithe and Give, okay? And so this is a little bit of a personal testimony, but I also think it's a biblical worldview. So as you're processing the financial resources that God has given you to steward, uh, I want you to, I, I hope that you'll process it through much of the lens that I'm giving you because I think this is a biblical vi- view of giving. I was very, very blessed um, to grow up in a Christian home where my parents taught me about generosity and giving since I can remember. So it's just kind of always been integrated into my thinking and worldview. But I know there's some of you here this morning that you're new to Christianity and you're trying to figure out, man, how do I, how do I honor the Lord with, with my finances in a way that is generous? And how does God see, a gener- see generosity? So uh, one of the things that's really, really neat as a pastor that I consider really a divine, in some ways a divine privilege is there are times that people, maybe it's after a sermon or whatever, the Spirit of God's working in them and they get really convicted about a particular sin and they will make make a path to my, beat a path to my office, and they will say, hey, pastor, and they'll begin to confess a particular sin. And, they'll, they'll, and I'm always humbled by that, because I, I think that's a sacred trust when someone confesses a sin. And I, I'm grateful that a person would take a bold step to be that honest about something that, that has given them shame and guilt. I'm thankful that they want to come clean. I'm thankful that they want to and desire to walk in holiness and righteousness. And by the way, if that's you today, if there's something going on in your life and you're like, who can I confess it to or God's prompting you to confess it to, here's what happens. The enemy whispers in your ear and say, man, don't tell that because that's just like so horrible, right? And he whispers that. If, if they knew that, they would never or whatever. And, and I'm just, one of the things I say, if, if my office walls could talk, uh, they've heard it all, okay? And, and I tell you that to say this is a safe place to get right with God, right? And vomit it out and walk with holiness and righteousness. There is one particular sin I have never, never had anyone come into my office and confess. You want to know what it is? Greed. I have never had anyone walk into my office and say, man, I am just so greedy, right? And why don't we confess that sin? It's kind of hard to know, isn't it? Like, I don't, it's kind of hard to know. Like, is my heart so captured by finances that I'm greedy? And so I want to give you a biblical worldview that I think is a, a, the beginnings of generosity, okay? And I used two very important words here in my point number three. I said, why I tithe and give, okay? So the word tithe, does anybody know what the word tithe means? Anybody know what the word tithe is? It means tenths, okay? Uh, so I believe that when we talk about being a generous person, the starting point, not the ending point, but the starting point is giving a tenth of your income, you ready for this, to your local church to, as a, to, to grow and fuel and fund the gospel. And the reason I think that the local church is the starting point of your giving is because that's where you and your family get your spiritual sustenance, your spiritual protection, 
your teaching, your discipleship, and your spiritual well-being. And so the church is the starting point for me and my family of, of where we want to see the Lord bless and take care of us and grow us. Okay, now I know some of you will say, Pastor Sean, the New Testament doesn't teach a tithe. I actually, I love you, I actually disagree with you, okay? And here's the verse I look at, Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Jesus, in addressing the Pharisees, says, woe to you Pharisees. You tithe on your mint and your rue and on every herb. In other words, you tithe on your spices. And then he says, you neglect greater things, right? You neglect justice, you neglect the love of God. But then Jesus says something very important. Say it with me. These you, what, ought to have done. What should you have done? Tithe, right? You should have done these things, but not neglect the more important things. So by the way, if you're just tithing as if somehow you're buying your way into heaven, you've missed the point entirely, right? Give joyfully because you love the Lord and you want to be generous like your God, okay? And so when I say tithe and give, tithing is the first fruits of worship to my local church and giving is over and above offerings that I may choose, or my wife and I may choose to give to, like other ministries, other missions, missionaries, backpacks, Ukraine, building funds. All of these things are like, hey, you know what? We do want to give an offering to these things over and above our tithe. Everybody with me? So, so that, why I tithe and give? So let's go through this quickly. Here we go. Letter A. I tithe and give because I've surrendered to a giving God who calls me to give. Listen, this is ultimately about the gospel, right? If, if, if God has saved us in Christ, he's a giving God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave, right? So if the Holy Spirit, Christ now lives in me by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm being transformed in the image of the God that I worship, we have a God that's a generous giving God, right? That's what Paul says in Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is Paul saying? This is a greater to the lesser argument. God in Christ has already taken care of your eternal life. So if you're tithing, is God suddenly going to get chintzy on you? Anybody? No, we got a generous God. He's not a chintzy God. And so if I'm going to grow to reflect the character and nature of my God, I don't want to be a chintzy person. Amen? I want to grow and I want to be generous and I want to be giving. And so, so tithing and giving, it, it, I've, I've surrendered my life, including my checkbook, including my wallet, to the God who has been generous and he calls me to give. Letter B, tithing and giving positions my life to receive God's blessing. Tithing and giving positions my life to receive God's blessing. One of the things that I've done a lot of things, not great, but one of the things I think that I, I've done well with my kids and bringing them up is hopefully teaching them about the Lord and the gospel, but uh, we've also taught them about how to steward their finances. And so one of the things I did from the time they were born uh, until they're somewhere between 16 and 17 is as you know, grandparents and aunts and uncles gave the Christmas and birthday money. I don't know how many of y'all get that. You get the little check from grandparents or whatever. I've taken that, my wife and I have taken that money, and instead of running out to Walmart and buying more plastic junk that they'll just throw away, I actually took it and I invested it, okay? And I invested it, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. 
And then when they're 16, as part of their discipleship at my home, I take them through Dave Ramsey's book. Uh, um, I forget which one. One of them, just about how to do finance. Lauren, you're in here. Which one? Yell it out. What did we just do? What? What? Oh, total Money Makeover. Lauren's going to kill me now for calling her out in the service. So, uh, yeah, Total Money Makeover. We went through Total Money Makeover. And then next week... I'm going to take her to the bank, and I'm going to take all the money that she's earned through these years, and I'm going to put it in her bank account. Now, parents, this is the joy of it all, ready? And then I look at her as a 16-year-old, and I go, you're off my books. You're on, my, you're on your own. I have now prepared you. Here's your money. God bless you. Amen, right? And she's off payroll. It's great news, all right, parents? Like, you're all, You're free. Be free. And so, uh, and, and, th- and one of the things that we do during this is we look over this verse, right? So I have a read, Total Money Makeover, Dave Ramsey, talk about how to build a budget, how to live inside your means, and then I take her verse by verse through Malachi chapter 3. So here it is. I wanna, I'm going to take you guys through it. Malachi 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. It's a very important word, by the way. Our God's not changing. He's not an Old Testament God and different in the New Testament. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So this is a passage where God is frustrated with the people of Israel because they're not walking in obedience. He says, the only reason I haven't consumed you is because I promised I wouldn't. All right? From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and you haven't kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of what, church? And you hear that word? That's the Lord of heaven's armies. Again, that's the NLT translation. Now, now begins this dialogue, a pretend dialogue, between God and the nations of Israel, all right? But you say, how shall we return to you? And God answers, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God's answer. In your what church? Tithes and? Tithes and offerings. Tithes and giving. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Anybody here feel the weight of that? All right, now that was the bad news. Now I'm going to give you the good news. And I love, love, love verse 10, and I believe verse 10 to the bottom of my soul. Ready? Here it is. Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. By the way, I lean into that section of this verse for why I give to my local church first. This is your local place of worship. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby... Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Ready for the Sean Brown? Here's the Sean Brown version of that. Ready? I believe that God is saying, first of all, it's the only time in the Bible that God says you can test me on something. And secondly, I believe he's saying, see if I don't bless your socks off. Amen? Put God to the test on the tithe and see if he doesn't bless your, sock off, your socks off. And by the way, that's much more than money, right? I'm not saying I mean, you tithe and, and, and all of a sudden next week you're driving a Tesla or whatever, right? Like I'm not saying that. I am saying this. I can tell you probably for the first 
15 years of marriage, 10 or 15 years of marriage, like when I did the budget and I put the tithe at the top, the math didn't add up. And I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to make it through this year. And every single year we saved money, right? And I'd be like, how does that happen, right? This math, these numbers, it's because God was blessing our socks off. It's, it's more than money. It's, it's, it's worshiping with you. I, I was down in Chesapeake last week, the week before worshiping with me. We sang this new song, Gratitude. And in the 930 service, and in the 1115 service a little bit, but the 930 service, in the bridge of the song, erupted with cheers. Like they couldn't contain it. Like they're just praising the Lord. And, and that encouraged my heart. And to worship the Lord with you, to provide a church environment where once a week, um, outside of the world, like Pastor Spencer prayed, like the world's bombarding you with this ungodly, unbiblical world for just an hour a week, we come and we encourage one another in the Lord. And it's like, we're not like thought of as the goofy Christians that are around the culture. Man, my heart is encouraged alongside of you guys. And man, to build that kind of church, you're blessing my socks off. And to raise a family in a healthy church, pastor's kids, I, I, you guys are going to be shocked by this, pastor's kids aren't perfect, right? And to raise them in a healthy church where they made mistakes and you guys loved on them and your youth leaders and the children's leaders, just incredible, incredible people. Like my socks have been blessed off. And by the way, on a side note, I make sure that I tithe on gross and not on net. And here's why. It's not legalism for me. I, whatever you want to do, I could care less. But here's the deal. I want God to bless me on growth, gross and not on net. Amen? Nobody. Is it? I don't know. Get us out of here. We're sick of this sermon. All right, here we go. I'll get you out of here. All right, another C. Tithing, helps, tithing and giving helps me defeat the sin of greed and materialism. What did I say at the beginning of this? It's hard to know if you're greedy, isn't it? It's hard to know. And so tithing for me, 1 Timothy 6, 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. Verse 8. If we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I'm not going to read the rest of that verse here. Slide person, slide people. All right. Listen, at the, one of the things that I do really, really practically each year as I build out my family budget, and the first line of the budget, guess what it says? First line. What do you think it says? Tithe. It says tithe, and I write it in, right? Why do I do that? I do that because I see, as I look at my budget and where all the resources are going, I want all those resources, the mortgage, the education, the retirement, the, you know, the things you're saying, the car, whatever, I want all of it because it represents our family and our life choices, I want it all to be under the umbrella of God's protection. It's, it's more than just like, it's a picture for me. It's Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, what, what's the rest of 127? You labor in vain anyway, right? So uh, I, want, I, want, I want it to be a reflection that the Lord is building my house and, and tithing for me is like, you know what? Because a lot of times we think like this. If I cut the tithe out, I could get a nicer car. I could get more square footage. I could get bigger, nicer, shinier, newer, faster. And it's a reminder for me, hey, you know what? Timothy 6 says, be content with what you have. Amen? Because mo most of us probably don't need bigger, newer, shinier, faster. We probably won't need to be more generous. And then finally this morning, here it is. I tithe and give because I love the mission and vision of Coastal Church. I tithe and give because I love the mission and the vision of Coastal Church. Hopefully you know the mission and the vision, right? What's the vision of Coastal, Coastal Church? 
We are here to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We do that three ways. Connect, corporate worship, right? And so we use your resources and your giving to make sure we have a great corporate worship where you can sing and hear the word of God preach. You drop your kids off and they're being taught the word of God. Corporate worship, grow. We want you to be in a small group and we make sure we have great small group opportunities for you and serve. We want you to serve in a ministry and a mission of Coastal Church. Now here's what's happening at Coastal, ready? It took us about 15 years to get here to this location, okay? Something crazy's happened over the last five years. The church has begun to grow exponentially. In the last five years, we've added four more campuses. At one point, over a brief amount of time, we were five campuses. We've planted one of those campuses. That's Deer Park, right? It's its own campus now. You are now a part of a church that has, and by the way, I want you to hear this for me. All four campuses are growing did you know that there's not, the church in America is dying? To be a part of a growing church is an anomaly. You're, you're, you're a part of a church that has four growing campuses where new people are coming, they're getting saved, we're doing baptisms, they're being a part of Connect, Grow, and Serve. And the word is on the street. We're actually talking to several, I don't know if it'll happen or not, we're talking to several churches right now. They're going, hey, would you think about adopting us? We want to be a part of what God is doing at Coastal. We're praying about Williamsburg. All that to say is I give and I tithe to Coastal Church. You know why? Because I'm so excited about what God is doing. And we could not do those things if we didn't link arms together. Your giving, my giving pulled together is allowing this church to have a huge impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting, church? And so, listen, I didn't, I didn't preach this sermon out of, man, Coastal's desperate. You guys have been incredibly generous. This was the next text, and I want to challenge us to be generous. I want to invite the worship team up and uh, finish with this story, and then we'll, we'll close with prayer and go out singing this morning. One of the unique things of being a pastor uh, in the community, which is always in some ways a little bit odd, is like when you get invited to something like a dinner party, especially a dinner party that doesn't have like a lot of Christians, there's a lot of non-Christians there, and everyone just acts weirder around a pastor. Like it's just, I don't know what it is. Like as soon as you tell people you're a pastor, like, oh, it gets weird. Uh, you know, they stop cussing. They, they were just cursing and they're like, golly gee. I'm like, I know that's not what you were going to say, but you don't answer to me anyway, so... Uh, but usually it comes that weird moment at dinner time where when you're a pastor, they look at you and I can tell in their eyes, they're like, you're a pastor, do something religious right now kind of thing, right? And so I never know at that moment if that means that I should pray over the food or take up an offering, right? Like they're expecting something religious, let's do something religious. So, um, and so one of the things that I say during our offering time, I say a couple things, and I choose my words very intentionally, and I know you hear them week after week, and maybe it becomes rote, and you're not thinking about what I'm saying at the offering time. One of the things I say to our guests, what do I say? We are not after what? Your money. We're not after your money. Guess what? I 100% mean that. 100%. You want to know why? Because God's not after your money. God doesn't need a dime of anybody's money in this room. What is God after? And if he has your heart, what does he have? He's got everything, right? And so if he has everything, then everything about your life is an act of worship. Your marriage 
is an act of worship. And how you navigate difficulties in your marriage and how you fight fair or don't fight fair is an either sinful or an act of worship. And how you raise your children is an act of worship. And how you educate your children is an act of worship. And how you behave in the workplace tomorrow is an act of worship. And how you act in your free time is an act of worship. And how, what you do in your hobby time is an act of worship. And so what's the second thing I say during our offering time? This is what? An act of worship. That's all it is. Offering time is just an act of worship. And I know most of us, if you're like me, you give online. Like 75%, I think, of our income now comes in online. I'll tell you something. When I give online, you want to know what I do? Before I press send, I pray over it. I'm just like, God, I'm excited about our church. Use this to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. The book of James is about being authentic. And so we've held up the mirror today of generosity. That's what we've held up. The mirror of Christianity. If I'm a Christian, I worship and serve a generous God, and I need to be growing in generosity. And so James 5 says this. If we're not generous, then our riches have rotted, our garments are moth-eaten, our gold and our silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you, will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in these last days. Here's my prayer for you, Coastal Church. I want God... I want you to use your time every minute. Last week, James said what? Your life's a vapor. I want you to use every minute as an act of worship to the Lord. And I want you to use your talent. God's given you talents. The worship team behind us, right? We praise the Lord because they're super talented, right? Use your talent so that we as a church can worship the Lord. Use everything he's given you to worship the Lord, your talent. And guess what? I want you to use your treasure. That's between you and the Lord. And I gave you, hey, here's why I tithe. Here's why I give. Here's some of the scripture verses I look into. I really, really believe Malachi 3.10. God will bless you, right? You're never going to run short because our God doesn't run short. But it's between you and the Lord. But I want you to be a generous person so that one day we all stand before the Lord having stewarded this thing called life, time, talent, and treasure. And the Lord looks at us and says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little. I'm going to put you in charge of plenty. Amen, church? All right, amen. Let's go out singing this morning. I'm going to close with prayer. I want to invite the prayer team up right now. Come on up under the screens. Listen, if you came in here with a burden, never, never, never leave here without being prayed over. Man, our prayer team, they love to pray with you. We sang that song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord, this morning. That's a prayer song. Come on up and pray and let these prayer team members join in the battle. All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for a great morning of worship. God, everything we have, everything we do, everything about us in Christ is an act of worship. And so we want to worship you. We want to be a generous people, God. We want to fuel and fund the gospel. There's more lives to be reached. It's the hope of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we just get to be a small part of it, God. Help us to use our time well to honor Christ. Help us to use our talent well, God, to honor Christ, that you may, we might, everything that we do may be an act of worship. And God, we, even our financial resources, God, we want to be a generous people because you're a good God. You are not a chintzy God. You're not holding out on us. You are indeed a good God. You've been so good to us. And so we want to use all of our resources to worship you, O Lord, because you, O God, are good. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.